If you are here for the first time, I know what it's like to walk into a church for the first time and want to welcome you. My name is Mark. I get to serve as one of the elders and uh, one of the pastors on staff here. And I get to bring the sermon this morning, and I'm so excited about doing that. I want to just mention a couple of um, resources. We're taking a, a, a break from our series in the Gospel of Mark. I'll explain a little bit more about this series, but just a couple of resources that are available for you um, uh, as we uh, move into the topic of generosity over the next couple of weeks. There's a great article called Cre- Creation, Fall, Redemption, and Your Money uh, that's uh, by uh, Tim Keller. That's available. It'll, it'll be in the email that goes out after the service. It's also available at the Welcome Center. And if you don't know how to get that email, you can go to our website and sign up for it there. And this wonderful little book called The Treasure Principle. Just show of hands. Anybody read this book? Okay. Uh, if you haven't read this book, it's available in the bookstore for six bucks. And um, it's just a wonderful little entry into how to move into uh, finding joy in, in, in generosity. And I've found it really helpful over the years. Um, so as I mentioned, we are, um, for the next three weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to be um, taking a break from the series in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I want to give you a little bit of background to sort of why we're doing that and, and, and what we're doing. Um, but first, I want you to hear from God. So we're going to hear God's word first. And uh, so hear Luke 12, 13 to 21. Joanna's going to read for us. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Thank you. Let's pray. Oh God, these words that we've just heard are not empty words. They're living words, eternal words, words that will never pass away. And they're here for our profit and benefit. We sang earlier that you would turn our eyes toward you, that you would open our hearts to the things of heaven. And God, we just acknowledge we live in a pandemic of materialism. That virus is everywhere. And we want to be able to not only survive in the midst of that, but we want to thrive as Christians who are rich toward you. We thank you that the gospel makes that possible. And we pray that this sermon and this sermon series would help just stir up and encourage generosity born of the Spirit for the glory of your name and the eternal good of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you my first business card. Mark Mullery, executive weed puller. If you don't know what Oldsmobile and American Motors 
are you can ask somebody old after the service. You know, uh, we, we get started, you know, maybe doing a jobs as, as kids. I, I, my first job was really mowing lawns, but I actually got a business card for this one because my dad owned a car dealership that he hired me to work for when I was in high school, and I really did pull weeds, and so they thought this was funny. They made this little business card for me. But I just give you that as an illustration that money's a part of life, isn't it? And we, you know, as we're, as we're growing and growing up and just walking through life, money's always uh, a, a, a big part of life. We can take the business card down now so we can stop thinking about Lee Olsenville. Um, and, um, you know, we're earning money, we're saving money, we're giving money, we're owing money, we're paying money. And yet, the reality is that, that money is hard to talk about, isn't it? You know, it's generally bad manners to do something like, hey, my name's Mark, how much money do you make? Like, you kind of don't start polite conversations sort of, sort of that way. Um, but, but the reality is money is, is hard to talk about in some ways. It's not so hard to talk about things that we want or sometimes things that we have. Um, but... It can be hard to talk about what we do with what we have. And there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, we find ourselves in a lot of different situations, economically, financially, even a group of people like this in this room. We might have different values or ideas or standards. But the reality is Jesus sort of brushed off this human tendency to avoid talking about money, and he talked about money a lot. He talked about money more than sex. He talked about money more than uh, actually a lot of things. If you're not sure about that, just read through the Gospel of Mark, uh, excuse me, the Gospel of Luke with a highlighter and highlight all the places Jesus talks about money. And so what we want to do is we sort of want to take our cues from him and follow his example. And we want to try to make it more normal to talk about money and especially about generosity. Now, we're not going to get weird and say, okay, everybody bring your W-2s to the community group and we're going to talk, you know, like it's not going to get, we're not getting into everybody's business, but we do want to make it easier and more comfortable to talk about things like obstacles to generosity, like, like greed or fear and, 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 and pathways to generosity and how the gospel sets us free to, to live that way. So over the next three weeks, we're going to do what we call our, uh, drop into what we call our Life Along the Way series. It's a discipleship series that we drop into from time to time to, to touch on issues that are, that are uh, timely and relevant. So uh, this, the theme is generosity. This Sunday, the message is Build Bigger Barns. Next uh, Sunday, Justin will be preaching from 1 Timothy 6 about how we've been set free to live generously. And then in uh, two Sundays from, from now, uh, we'll be going back to the, the book of Malachi and asking the question, should I tithe to my church and get a little more practical? Now, why are we doing this? Well, we want to encourage this church to keep growing in generosity, to be and become what God has called and empowered us to be. And looking around this room and having been amongst this church, and knowing this is a church that's two streams that have come together, knowing many folks from, from Sojourn as well, there's a ton to be encouraged about. There's a lot of generosity in, in, in this room and in, this, in the stories that we have. But, you know, we got a little nudge in this direction when giving to our church went down unexpectedly in December. And so the elders did a study, not looking at any names, 
But we found that a significant number of our members weren't actually on record as giving to RGC in the previous year. And we thought, okay, well, Lord, what do you want us to do in response to this? And so we're, we're doing this series as part of a bigger project just to really seek to freshly get God's perspective on money and generosity, on stewardship and church membership. And, and part of it is we want to encourage conversation about this. It's not like we've never preached about this before. We certainly have. And as you're here this morning, you may, may be thinking, uh-oh. And if this is your first Sunday here, you may be thinking, man, I picked the wrong day to come to this church. <laughs> Talking about money, is there going to be an offering at the end? And is this going to be guilt and high pressure? And so no offering like at the, at the end. There's going to be no guilt. We lead through the gospel. We're committed to always motivating by grace. So let me set the tone as Scripture does, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We want no one giving out of guilt or compulsion. We want people who've been set free because God loves a cheerful giver. We want happy generosity in this place. So today, what we're going to do is pretty simple. We're just going to engage one of the great obstacles to generosity, and that's greed. And Luke 12, Jesus tells us this parable that takes us right there. It's about a rich fool who, who fails to guard against covetousness, against greed, and he keeps his treasure for himself with eternal consequences to it. So what, we're doing this because we want to be generous disciples, and in order to do that, we need to learn how to guard against greed and how to treasure God instead of ourselves. Church, the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is so great that it reaches into every square inch of our lives, including how we handle money and possessions. And every Christian can know the joy of living generously in whatever situation you find yourself in. So we got a warning, a story, and a, a, a practice, a strategy. Okay, so here's the warning. The warning's pretty simple. Be on guard against greed. Look back at your Bibles, please. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open. And I want to just give a little ad for this. Electronic Bibles are great. They're fine and all that. But if you use a paper Bible, you know what? You can't receive text messages. You can't order anything during the service from Amazon. You can't check your Instagram account. That's never happened in one of these. So there are some benefits to using a paper Bible, all right? Just a little plug for that. All right, so here's the situation. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What's the situation? You got siblings fighting over an inheritance. It's an all too familiar situation. Some people here may have experienced this or even be in the middle of it right now. The likely scenario here, we don't get the details, but probably what's happening here is Obviously, the parents have died, so there's an inheritance in view. Probably the situation is the older brothers in charge of the estate, which is how typically things would have happened. Uh, and, and then the younger brother is probably the one who's speaking to Jesus, and he says, I want my share. I want my part. But it may well have been that that's not so easy to do because if the estate was land, as it typically was, we, it's not like going to the bank and just withdrawing some money and handing it over. Do you start carving up the 
the family estate that's been in the family for generations. That, that may not be so easy to do. And I want you to notice, the guy says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know what he's doing here? You see what he's doing? He's ordering Jesus what to do. That's generally not a good idea, right? And Jesus doesn't, doesn't respond. He's like, I'm not really here for that. The guy doesn't ask Jesus a question. He gives him a command. He doesn't say, hey, rabbi, would you mediate this, this, this dispute, this inheritance between us? And whatever you come up with, we'll, we'll trust you to arbitrate that. No, he tells Jesus the outcome that he, he wants to have happen. And the punchline here then is Jesus not only addressing this guy, but widening the circle because Jesus' disciples are there and there's a crowd there as well. And he, he says this so that everybody can hear it. Take care. Can we hear this? Take care. And be on guard against all covetousness. The Greek word there is often translated greed. They're sort of used synonymously or interchangeably for for this Greek word. Many of the English translations will say, be on guard against all greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. So Jesus is saying, take care and be on guard against all Greed against all covetousness. What is that? What is that? How, how can we be on guard against it if we don't know what it is? Well, the Oxford English Dictionary, the gold standard for the English language, says that these things are the inordinate longing for wealth, the desire for riches. Do you see where those are anchored? Longing, desire. Where do those speak to? Where do those come from? They come from the heart, right? These are heart issues. And that's why greed can be so elusive, why it can fly below the radar. And it does, doesn't it? When was the last time you heard someone confess, oh man, I've been so greedy. I've been infected by materialism and I really need to repent. Like we don't typically talk like that with each other. But greed is a big deal. It's a disposition of the heart, which makes it Harder to spot. If, if someone's stealing, that's outwardly obvious. If someone's committing adultery, if someone's engaged in fits of rage, that's outwardly evident. But if someone's building bigger barns, you don't necessarily know if that's greed or not because it's the heart that reveals that. So let's just take a moment. And I was, I was stirred and affected by this as I worked on this this week. What is God's perspective on greed? What does God counsel us in his word about greed? And you know what? He says a lot about it. And it's, it's a lot more serious than I walk around feeling and thinking about most of the time. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. When Israel is becoming a nation, he's, God is setting them up to, to be an independent nation after they'd been slaves in Egypt. And he gives them a list of 10 commandments that summarize what it's going to look like for them to be in relationship with him and to live as good neighbors with one another. And commandment number 10 is this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet 
your neighbor's wife, or anything that is your neighbor's. So just pause and consider. Covetousness makes the list of the Big Ten, right? How about Micah 2.2? Micah is one of the prophets. He's prophesying to the nation of Judah during the time of Isaiah. Micah says, they covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. This is important. You see what's happening here? They covet fields and they steal them. So greed is a matter of the heart, but it leads to action. I wonder how many wars have been started simply by greed and covetousness? How many families have been destroyed by greed and covetousness? Let's turn to the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 5. You may be sure of this, so we might pause. Are we sure of what we're about to hear? That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that's the same word that's in our Luke 12 passage, that is an idolater, everyone who is characterized by those things has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now just ponder that, because the world that we live in doesn't help us with this. Greed and covetousness are an off-ramp that re leads directly to hell. The person whose life is ruled by greed cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's that serious. And there's this funny little parenthesis here. The person who is covetous, that is an idolater. So let's just ask, why is covetousness, why is the covetous person an idolater? What's the connection? Well, I had an epiphany this, this, this week thinking about this. It, 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 I've never quite understood why is that little phrase in there? If we go back to the Ten Commandments, I think this can, this can open up for us. Tenth commandment is you shall not covet, right? What's the first commandment? You shall have no gods before me. There's a full circle there. When God says you shall have no gods before me, what's he saying? He's saying... People, I want you to find your contentment, your joy, your satisfaction in me. Covetousness displaces that contentment in God and it pushes it out and replaces it with a love for stuff. See, greed isn't just about breaking some arbitrary rule. God says don't be covetousness, so you have to do it because God says it. Do you know that greed and covetousness, it's about love. When we're covetous, we're loving the creation more than the creator. That's why it's idolatry. And that's why it's ultimately so utterly destructive and unsatisfying. So how can I know if I need to be on guard against this disordered love? How can I know if I am? 
Well, Jesus gives us this story to help us diagnose our hearts. This, make friends with this story. Go back to verse 16. So he says, take guard against all greed, and let me tell you a story that will help you with that. He tells him a parable, verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. Fool. Anybody want to hear God call you a fool? Let's figure out why he's a fool so we can not follow his example. Why is he a fool? Is he a fool because his business prospered? No. Is he a fool because he saved for the future? Not necessarily. Is he a fool because he built bigger barns? Not necessarily. Don't come to the wrong conclusion here. Why is this guy a fool? I want to I just come back to, to verses um, 16 to 19, and I'm going to ask you a question. What's missing from these verses? We're going to do a little audience participation, okay? So the text is up here. The eyes are in red and the eyes are in blue. So if you're on this side of the auditorium, you guys are, when we get there, you say the I, okay? And this side, can you do the my? Okay, you got it? Okay, you ready? Okay. And he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do for have nowhere to store crops? And he said, we'll do this. We'll tear down. Can we do better than that? Thank you. And build, and build larger ones. And there we'll store all grain and goods. And we'll say to soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What's missing? Right. Right. There's a lot of I and my in there, isn't there? And there's no God in there. That's why he's a fool. That's the problem. See, this guy believed two lies. First, he believed this lie. This is all mine. This is all mine. He believed that the grain was his and the goods were his. But who'd they really belong to? Every good Jewish person would know, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Who owns the earth? The Lord does. Who owns the people? God is the creator, and you and everything in the creation is his. Whose rain was it that fell on the guy's land? Who made those seeds grow? Whose land was it in the first place? I love this little uh, statement from Tim Keller in that article I mentioned earlier. If it wasn't for God, you could have been born on a mountain in Mongolia in the 11th century, and then where would you have been? in terms of your prosperity, your farms and fields. See, this fool saw himself 
as an owner, but you know what he really was? He's a manager. He's a steward is the Bible word that we find. Randy Alcorn in that Treasure Principle book says it this way. He says, God owns everything and I'm his money manager. Oh, get a hold of that and it'll change your life. God owns everything and I'm his money manager. This is exactly what we heard last Sunday from Mark 8.34. If anyone would come after Jesus, if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. What's he saying? He's saying if you're a Christian, your life is no longer your own. You're not an owner. You're a steward. You're a manager. I was thinking about this, this parable, this story. Have you ever read those, you know, those little choose-your-own-adventure stories? Like you read partway into a story and then there's like, well, you could now do you want to do this or do you want to do that? And you can go in different places. What if this was a choose-your-own-adventure parable? And when the guy had the great harvest, one option was to say, oh, look, I'm going to build bigger barns for myself. And the other option was to say, God, what would you want me to do with all this grain you've blessed me with? See, that's what's missing here. That's how stewards think. Now, stewardship functions in the life of every believer but it works out differently in the life of every believer. And I can look around this room and know people who are online as well and know that we're, we're all in different circumstances, aren't we? Some, some of you are caring for aging parents, and it's expensive, and it's cost, costly time-wise and energy-wise. Some are navigating through the fallout of a failed marriage. Some are dealing with the huge costs of college or student loans. Some are living on very limited incomes. Some have more resources than you need to live on. We're all in different places in this, but our starting point is exactly the same. We're stewards, not owners. That's a lesson that we want to learn from the lie that this guy believed. The second lie he believes is this. Wealth brings security and contentment. Wealth Bring security and contentment. Lie number two. He thinks, I got, I got tons of stuff. No trouble. I'm going to be happy. He's defining his life in terms of his stuff. He's looking for security and contentment in terms of his stuff. And this is foolish. It's foolish for a couple reasons. One is, I love Proverbs 23. It says, don't set your heart on wealth. You know why? Because it can sprout wings and fly away like a bird. And that happens, doesn't it? Banks collapse, Bitcoin collapses, you lose your job, things go wrong. Now, that isn't what happens to this guy. We'll hear more about that, that problem next week, the uncertainty of riches. But, but this guy, he's foolish because he's kept all his stuff and died unprepared for eternity. It was his time to die, and he was unprepared to give account to the God who created him and gave him everything in his life. He's that person, if you were here last week, we heard about when Jesus says, if you save your life, you'll lose it. That's this guy. That's how he lived. This is what it looks like to live this way. See, this guy's problem is not his wealth. Hear this. It's the love of it. It's not the money. It's the love of it. It's looking to his wealth 
for security and contentment instead of looking to God for those things. Eugene Peterson puts this this way. He says, this is the problem when you fill the barn with self instead of God. So we might ask ourselves today, what am I filling my barn with right now? Self or God? When your soul is required of you, when you die, how can you be prepared? The gospel is good news right there. So we're going to shift forward because we want to learn from this story of the rich fool. And we need to go a little farther than simply the warning that Jesus provides here. He hints for us. The problem at the end, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In other words, he's saying, look, you want to be rich toward God, right? And so we need a strategy to defeat greed, and we need a strategy to not live foolishly when it comes to our resources. And that strategy is generosity. See, the story is a warning. Greed is one of the big obstacles to generosity. You know what the big obstacles are to generosity? Greed, fear, and anxiety. And that's actually the next thing Jesus will deal with in the, in the next thing that he has to say. And materialism. Those, in my opinion, are the big three. So Jesus is giving us here the don't, the put off. And we all start out that way before we're believers disordered loves when it comes to money, but we repent and believe. And so what's the do as we've repented and turned away from putting our trust and, and hope for contentment in, in, in wealth and riches? What does it look like to put on? What, what does it look like to positively live the new way following Christ? How can we both guard against greed and be rich toward God? Well, the short answer is generosity. And Jesus points us there. I'm going to just, just cheat and skip down a few verses. Look at verse 32 of chapter 12, just a few verses later. Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old and with a treasure, and with a, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How can we be rich toward God? Well, fear not. Be generous with the poor. Live like a steward. Put your treasure in the right place. Because get this, this is so important. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure. Do you know that giving is an act of resistance against greed and materialism? Generosity is an act of spiritual warfare. The gospel sets us free from being ruled by fear about the future, from craving wealth, and ever-increasing riches. It sets us free to be able to push back against those things. And the best and simplest way to do that is just start giving something away. You're giving away your time serving at Hypo this week. Giving away resources. Giving away talents and gifts. That's how we fight. That's how we resist materialism. 
And you think, well, how much should I give? Who should I give to? When? And I'm not going to tell you the answer to those questions because I don't know exactly what it's going to look like for you. We'll give you some principles as we go, go through this series. But I want to encourage you, if you're not sure how much to give, who to give to, when and where to give, ask the owner because you're the steward. And read his owner's manual. It will help you sort these things out. And some of you are probably thinking right now, yeah, that all sounds good and I'd love to get there, but you don't know how much financial trouble I'm in. I'm in debt up to my ears. My finances are a mess. I don't even know how to budget. And I want to speak to you this morning and say, oh, dear one, God is a redeemer. And you are not beyond the reach of his gracious help. In fact, Dale Crowell, where are you, Dale? Yo. Okay. There's Cheryl up there. Dale's, Dale's working. All right. So Dale Crowell, a number of years ago, Dale and Cheryl found themselves in real trouble financially. They humbled themselves, got some help. By God's grace, they've been able to get out of debt, pursue a generous lifestyle. And if you want to talk to somebody that's actually been there and lived that way, Cheryl's up there and she and Dale would love to chat with you about that. And I know there's other stories like that. Here too. Financial Peace University is a wonderful tool in, in this church that helps, helps you get, get going with these things. It'll start up again in June. I just want to encourage you that wherever you are, the place to start is where you are. God wants to meet you right where you are, just, just, by, just with you asking, God, how can I pursue generosity right here, right now in this place? As I was thinking about this, I, I don't typically like to talk a, a lot about my own sort of story uh, uh, in, in sermons because uh, uh, I, I don't want it to be misunderstood. But this is a place where I just, I, I'm so grateful to God for the way God met Leslie and me when, when we were uh, just getting married, when I was in college. And I wanted to just go back and really give glory to God. And I hope this will be encouraging because if you're here as a teenager if you're here and you're in college, you're in your 20s, you're just getting started in, the, in, in, in your job, in your career, this, it's so helpful to get started well early in your life. The patterns that you start early, you can build on through your life. So I just want to go back and just, just recount if I could. You, your life won't look like this. You won't make all the same decisions. But these are some of the ways that God met me and Leslie and me as we were just, just getting started. As a 17-year-old, I was still in high school, and I was so excited about following Jesus. And somehow, I, I heard about supporting an orphan in another country through World Vision. It was, I think it was $15 a month, which was a lot for me at the time. But, but God just put it into my heart, and I started, I started doing that. And I think by God's grace... Pretty much for most of my life, we've supported an orphan somewhere that's poor and in need of help. I remember Larry and Molly Lambert, this older couple in our church, Arcata First Baptist Church in Northern California. One evening, they invited a bunch of us college students over, and they played a cassette tape for us. If you've never heard of a cassette tape, Google it later, and you can find out what those are. And the guy gave a little message about money, and it was so helpful. He said, look... It's better to spend your life receiving money through saving, receiving interest through saving rather than paying interest on credit cards. And it's good to make a plan not only to save, 
but to prepare to be generous. And maybe regular old people who've done a good job saving, and if God, God's blessing you, they might be able to come to the end of their lives and give away a million dollars. And I can remember being captured by that as a young guy. Les and I, when, when we got married in our early 20s, by God's grace, we just were committed to being full partners together and encouraging each other in generosity. I remember when we were first married, sitting down at a coffee shop with Dale Gritness, another older brother in our church, and he had this 8.5 by 14 uh, uh, spreadsheet, piece of paper, and it was his family budget. And he showed me how he did it. And... and by God's grace, we've been budgeting like that for 40 years. Our first paycheck, when Les was working at North Coast Labs, I was working at Pay and Pack. I think our first paychecks and every paycheck we've ever received, by God's grace, it was just in our hearts, we tithe to our church. That was just the first thing we wanted to do with, with the, those funds. And it got started there. And by God's grace, it, it, it's continued. And, and that first bonus I got, I think it was $50 or something like that. One quarter, I got a bonus. And I've been reading Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. We're like, let's give this away. It's first fruit. We've never had a bonus before. Wow, we got a bonus. Let's just, let's, let's be stewards. And Lord, who would you want us to give this to? Some may wonder, well, does that mean, you know, Mark, you've, you've always had plenty of money, fistfuls of money, never known what to do with all the money that you have, never been worried about money, never struggled with greed or materialism. No, none of those things have been true. I come from a long line of worriers. I'm still a worrier. I'm still fighting against anxiety about financial things. I live in a world filled with materialism. That, that virus is continually trying to infect me, and at points it does, and I need to, to repent. Have we always had plenty of money? No, we haven't. When, 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 we were, when I was going through seminary, trying to do it without debt, and I can tell you there were many months when the checkbook had less than $100 in it at the end of the month, and there was no savings account. Like, that was it. But I'll tell you, after 40 years of being married and a little more than that being a Christian, living on 90% or less with God's blessing has only brought joy. I'll tell you that. No regrets. How many times have we seen God come through? And what thrill it's been to be able to invest in God's kingdom. I love doing our tax return every year and just being able to see, wow, we got to invest in this church and, and look at the things that are going on in the kingdom that we get to be a part of through our finances. Now, it's not going to work out the same way. I don't tell you these things so that you'll do them exactly the same way. I'm not the gold standard. You go to the owner and ask him for his direction in these things. That's all we're trying to do too. But I'm, I'm wanting to stir up and encourage how can we be generous in every season of life. And if you're in that early season of teens and 20s, what a great opportunity to get, get in on the adventure of generosity. But here we are, Leslie and I, now we're in our 60s and we're saying, okay, what does it look like to, to grow in generosity in our 60s and Lord willing in our 70s, maybe even our 80s? Wherever you are today, the same God who's been so gracious to, to meet us, I, I tell you this just to highlight God's greatness and faithfulness to his stewards. And I just want to encourage you just... If you haven't done this for a while or maybe you've never done this, just ask God 
Lord, how can we be generous in whatever situation we're in? And again, I can look around this room and be so grateful and encouraged by how many pictures and stories of generosity I know are here, right here today. Let me close with this. Jesus is teaching us as disciples to guard against greed and to pursue generosity. And we just want to be a church that lives that way. We want to be disciples and Christians that, that live that way. And we want to try to make it a little easier to talk about these things with each other. So I want to just leave you with a couple of questions that I hope will maybe be able to be brought into a marriage, into a family situation, and, and into a household, into a community group, into, into friendships. And it isn't, show me your W-2 and how much did you give away last year? Those aren't the questions, all right? Just, just how about this? How can we guard against greed? What's your strategy? Here's what I've been thinking about. What are you thinking about? How can we guard against greed? How can we just get that on the map with each other, okay? And, and, and this requires some self-examination. We have to learn how to examine our hearts because there's an invisible part of this. It's a sneaky thing. So, so I'm, I'm learning to ask myself questions like, am I looking to these things for contentment and security? Do I think if I just had blank, I'd be all set? You ever had that thought? I sure have. Oh, man, if I just had that tuition money for this semester, I'd be set. I remember thinking that. What do I have that I'd never be willing to give away? What are the diagnostic questions that you're developing to help you take care and be on guard against greed? I encourage you to work on those, but share those and work on those together in community. And there's no strategy more effective against guarding against, uh, for guarding against greed than just simply being generous. So here's a second question. How can we live generously? How are you living generously? Like, what's God showing you? Is there a time in your life when you really found joy just giving something away? Tell me, tell me about that. And here's, brothers and sisters, where the gospel is the good news. I want to encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Nothing promotes generosity like knowing how generous God has been with us. God so loved the world that he, what? That's, a, that's an economic word. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Oh, God, thank you for giving your son for me. And now that heart is being worked inside of me. I'm being conformed into the image of Christ so that instead of being a miserly, selfish, worried person, I can be generous like you. I can repent of greed, repent of fear, and be set free to be generous. Tim Keller says, in order to become a gracious, generous person, don't sit down with a calculator. Look to the cross. That's a great quote. Because God, God is our treasure. God is our sweetest pleasure. It's about love. It's love that sets us free to love. So may this series encourage us to live in open rebellion against our materialistic culture. I want to advocate open rebellion against materialism. And may this series encourage us to press on to be and increasingly be the generous church and the generous Christians 
that God has called and empowered us to be.